Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah and peace be upon you everybody you know what time it is it is the drive time show today and this is a live show so you can call in on 0208-687-7878 or if you're social media savvy Twitter, Instagram, Voice of Islam UK is the handle to put into your search engine today we're going to be discussing Two very important topics. Indeed, and yeah. Join with me is Imran Akram, all the way across the table. Asalaamu Alaikum. How are you doing? Everything is fine. Um, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Uh, I think it's a very interesting topic. The first one, uh, as you talk about drug trafficking, mm. and the mm. second, we'll be discussing about the uh, truthfulness, say the right word. So one is like wordly, and one is religious topic. So we'll be going through that. Wow. I mean, yeah, drug trafficking a drug use even mm-hmm. very interesting topic you know what mm-hmm. um even though we won't probably be touching on these specific things today i would if we have a, a number of exp- experts coming on today right, so okay. it might be beneficial to ask them as well Sweet. but yes drug use is pretty common nowadays mm-hmm. of course we're talking about class a drugs right now we're going to be looking into things like heroin right. opium have you ever heard of these things <laughs> do you know what they are and what they are actually used for, we're going to find out today. Absolutely. There is a long history behind this, you know. And mm-hmm. let, let me tell you right now, actually, before we start the show, it's going to be an interesting show. Absolutely. Because, obviously, when you, when you talk about drugs, everybody's like, oh, don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. That's not very nice. Yeah, and obviously, it's got a very taboo element to it. It's, well, there's an illegal element to it. The way that it's sold, the way it's trafficked, the way it's even used, mm-hmm. the way it can harm you. Okay. But there are also those people who claim that you can use it for medicinal uses as well and mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. there is some truth in that too True. so where do you draw the line what is the reality behind this we're going to find out i today. think it's a very very important question which you raise um because uh, where do you draw the line and we'll be talking about uh these questions these kind of questions so join us as we uh, uncover the you know uh implication of recent reports highlighting mm. uh, you know taliban crackdown on opium yeah, farms. yeah i was, I was going to ask you yeah. about that like mm. what's going on with them I mean, uh, I think it's a it's a good way, it's a good good thing to do because uh, I I had like eighty percent of opium mm. comes from Afghanistan. Okay. So if if you block, you know, the the eighty or ninety percent opium which comes from Afghanistan to, and then distributed worldwide, then you can really tackle the problem. But um, the question is, you know, mm. uh, the Afghan economy. I was reading that Afghan economy. Uh, economy Five to ten percent rely on this, you know, uh, the, uh, on opium farming. Wow! So if you just, <laughs> if you just, you know, suddenly, uh, you know, uh, stop, uh, stop, uh, you know, or you know, banning the, uh, the, you know, uh, opium uh, uh, farming, then it's gonna really hurt them, uh, because they are already struggling. So the, uh, it's it's an interesting question to discuss as well. Wow. Okay. Mm. We're gonna obviously look into mm. the policies, legislations mm. that exist or may be coming into place to control mm. drug trafficking. Exactly how are we going to put a curb on the issues that you've just talked about? Right. And we're also gonna take a look into what does Islam actually say Absolutely. about drugs, and what constitutes drugs, mm-hmm. and uh, can you use them, and for what purposes? So these are all of the things that I think hopefully. We're going to be looking into. We are going to be speaking to some experts shortly, Imran. But Imran, you being an imam, mm-hmm. I think there will be a lot of listeners, again, who are Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, there's We're speaking about opium, heroin, but right. that's not the only drugs mm-hmm. that are out there. Mm-hmm. In fact, there nowadays there are people using this thing called DMT. I don't know about this that. Disclaimer, I've never used it. Okay, <laughs> So I don't even know either. But, yeah. but basically what they are, they're hallucinogens. And they, oh. they kind of take you into kind of otherworldly realms. Mm. And... Uh, there are other drugs out there, like we've, we, we, we've alluded to, mm-hmm. that can mm-hmm. become addictive in their element. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a minute, specifically regarding 
those drugs which mm-hmm. have a tendency to become addictive. Mm-hmm. Can you take those? I mean, uh, from uh, you know, uh, uh, if we look towards Islam, uh, it says that anything which uh, you know intoxicates one's mind mm. is forbidden. Okay. So, uh, what do you mean by intoxicate? And uh, intoxicate I mean that that really affects um, one's ability to judge something. Oh, to think basically. Just to think, and mm. uh, you know, uh, these kind of uh, things, uh, ultimately, according to Islam, it can deteriorate uh, you from the uh, from a right path. And okay. also, you know, uh, you if you look towards those people who are addicted to something, uh, their family, uh, you know, their family unit is mm. broken. They are not, uh, you know, a good father, or good mother. Okay. Or good, so I think it, the drugs is itself, uh, uh, it's it's not a good thing uh, for for the whole society, especially if you talk about the family unit and uh, talking about the self discipline and stuff like that. Okay. Mm. I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, I think fundamentally there is. The, the the idea that when you're a Muslim you have to p- pray five times a day right right, right? and uh, you have to be fully focused mm-hmm. and within your senses mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of these drugs will not allow that to be possible absolutely um, and it's really important because when the Quran says in the Quran that when you pray mm-hmm. make sure you know what you're saying oh. because you might end up praying for something you might end up asking for something mm-hmm. and you don't actually want it <laughs> right <laughs> um, and you might tend to even have forgotten that you've mm-hmm. asked for that or you've mm-hmm. prayed for that. And so th- the ultimate purpose of prayer is to make sure that when you're before God, you're in your full senses and you're asking for exactly what you do need. Mm-hmm. And that's the fundamental criteria behind any kind of addiction. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to necessarily just be drugs, mm-hmm. right? Because the Quran doesn't go, oh, drugs, bad, uh-huh. everything else. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Addiction in general. We're going to talk right. about, of course, uh, addictions and things like that uh, very shortly as well. But we do... Very shortly have actually a guest caller. We're going to be coming to them yep. to speak about uh, this in, in general in further. Absolutely. But like I said, Imran, mm-hmm. we have a lot of kinds of addictions. There's mm-hmm. drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's any kind of, even gaming addiction exists today. Yes. And there's any kind of addiction that basically keeps your mind so busy and keeps your mind so disturbed that mm-hmm. you forget. Mm-hmm. That, oh, I need to pray. Mm-hmm. Or even when you are praying, you're thinking about it. You know, people listen to music, for example, right. and it's ringing in their heads when mm-hmm. they're praying. All of these kinds of things we'll talk about, mm-hmm. of course. But right now, we do have our first expert caller on the line. Uh, that is Professor Peter Reuter. And he is an expert in the field of criminology and drug policy. His work encompasses a wide range of topics, including the drug market analysis policy evaluation and the economics of the illicit drug, drug trade. He is currently teaching at the University of Maryland and we're going to be speaking to him right now. Peace be upon you, uh, uh, Professor Peter. Thank you very much for coming on to our show today to talk about drug trafficking. Uh, how are you doing today? Fine, thanks. Happy to be doing this. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. So we, we've only, obviously, we're not the experts. We've mm-hmm. kind of just spoken about the fact that, yes, Afghanistan seems to have some kind of opium trade there. We don't really know exactly what's going on. But from your research, what are the key economic drivers that sustain and perpetuate the illicit drug trade, especially in war-torn or conflict-affected countries? Uh, it varies so much by, by country. I mean, in you know, Afghanistan continued to dominate opium and heroin production in the world Throughout the 20 years um, of the occupation by the U.S. and allies, even though there was enormous conflict within the country, even though 
on the one hand, the you know the U.S. claimed that it was going to try to stamp out the the, the drug trade, and the Taliban, in principle, was against uh, also against uh, opium production and sale. But in fact, the um, you know the the economic hmm. base of rural Afghanistan is very much dependent on the on the opium trade, okay. and it's uh, a very it's a very confident government that would try to uh, reduce that uh, in any substantial way. I'm, uh, so it's sort of not hard to explain why, in the case of Afghanistan, hmm. the trade persisted. Uh, it, you know, for the Taliban, it provided a, an economic base and right. it, it gave them uh, gave them support. Hmm. Um, if you go to a go on, well, we have another question on your lips. No, no, carry no, on. No, no, carry on. Carry we'll on. let you finish, and then we'll, we'll, we'll fire some more shots. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, but, you know, it's very different if you go to a country like Yemen, which is, you know, war-torn in the most dramatic sense. Hmm. The cup trade was an important export industry for that, you know, to, mostly to uh, Somalia and Kenya. And I think that's essentially dried up simply because it's so hard to uh, maintain regular shipments and and cut you know you, fr- cut needs to be fresh. You do not want to have a uh, cut that was sitting around in a storehouse mm. for a month before it got, got shipped. Um, so there, there's no general statement about how war-torn countries sort of respond in terms of their drug trade. It, it's very situationally dependent. Mm-hmm. Professor, how do you know uh, economic uh, insensitives such as poverty and lack of uh, you know alternative livelihoods contribute to the involvement of individuals uh, in drug trafficking in these regions within the re- these regions? Yeah, I, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you 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 of course are correct. That it is the lack of alternatives. Uh, opium is a wonderful crop for. Uh, farmers in Afghanistan compared to, to for example, wheat, mm-hmm. which requires much more of an infrastructure, um, and I think it requires more water. Mm. Um, okay. And so the yield per, per hectare is just mm. a lot higher mm-hmm. uh, for opium. Uh, and the demand is pretty unresponsive to price. In other words, if if okay. uh, traders have to pay more for opium, they'll buy They'll still mm. buy essentially the same amount. Okay, I mean, this is going to sound like a really naive question. But let's just take the Taliban out of the expen- uh, perspective. Let's say it's anybody. Why would somebody give this trade up if it's so uh, beneficial? Yeah, uh, right. And so presumably the answer is that they care about the harm they're causing the rest of the world. Okay. And even as you sort of say the words out loud, you sort of have to say that's pretty implausible. <laughs> I mean, opium, opium in, in many societies has been a, a, a medicine, and it is a medicine. Right. Um, and um, you know, historically, there have been societies in which it's been used in fairly moderate, mm. uh, moderate quantities. And the harms have been pretty minor. Um, 
you it's it's hard to okay. make a compelling argument that yeah. an impoverished farmer in Afghanistan should have weighing on his conscience okay um, that some people will harm yeah. yeah I mean what with with what I'm maybe I'm not getting it is that with regards to the opium trade uh, a lot of this drug trafficking that's happening is there any kind of figures and research to suggest what it actually ends up being used for i mean we you you just kind of briefly did mention that some of it could be for medicinal purposes <clears throat> opioids can be a medicine but what do we know about that and are the people that are, are, t- are taking part in this trade are they going to be largely contributing towards people using it as something that's going to harm them or something that could actually be used towards medicinal purposes for example I mean, look, the, the, the opium produced in Afghanistan and anywhere outside of the few countries that have a, a quota uh, from the International Narcotics Control Board for producing opium, any, any country that's producing opium illegally hmm. is clearly producing it primarily for the recreational, recreational. Okay. market, which, yeah. Okay, that, okay, cool. That makes sense. Okay, so in that sense, they largely would be arguable they would understand that they, there is going to be some some kind of reasonable harm from this trade yes uh, yes and they can even observe in their own country i mean i think that heroin use in afghanistan has become a serious problem mm-hmm. there and you know you, you uh, a farmer could look around and, and see the harm that this is causing but as a you know, most of this of course goes to Countries very distant and societies very different from Afghanistan. And uh, uh, look, I'm, I'm not defending it. I just think that it's <laughs> no, hard to see that yeah. why that would weigh heavily on a, a, you know, a farmer in Afghanistan whose other options are pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Professor, in terms of, you know, drug policy, what are some effective, you know, approaches or strategies uh, that can be, you know, implemented or disrupt drug supply chains, uh, you know, or originating? And, you know, are there any noble cases or studies or examples where economic intervention have successfully reduced drug trafficking and its associate impact uh, in conflict-affected areas? Yeah, so I've spent much of my career studying... Uh, and uh, the question you asked me ought to be one that that I feel very comfortable giving a positive answer to. Mm-hmm. Here are the good strategies. Mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable. That is, there really are a remarkable lack of examples of mm-hmm. real interruptions that aren't the result of some sort of major political event. For example, when the communist regime took control of China, mm-hmm. China was far and away the world's largest uh, opium producer and consumer, and right. basically producing for its own market. And within probably three years, that market has essentially been eliminated. Wow. That was not the result of clever economic policies. That was the result of tough enforcement both against producers and against Users. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. The interruptions we've seen to supply, for example, there was, um, you know, in, in my little academic world, 
a very famous incident is that in Australia, which has a substantial heroin market, mm -hmm. there was a sudden interruption at the end of the year 2000, unrelated to the ban that took place next year in Afghanistan. And best interpretation of it is that it was a seizure, a huge seizure of, of a, a shipment destined for, uh, for Australia and sort of capture of the major traffickers. Unclear why the market wasn't able to adjust to that, but it didn't. If you ask me for examples of successful economic intervention, probably the one that comes to mind is in the 1970s in Thailand. Thailand used to be an important producer of, of opium for the heroin market, part mm -hmm. of the Golden Triangle. And the king of Thailand made this a sort of a main project of his. And this was a you know, an alternative livelihoods, along with some enforcement uh, campaign, which was very successful. But it was sort of the success has a little asterisk next to it. So Burma, now Myanmar, became the, uh, a much larger producer, largely because whereas Thailand had gotten rich and its farmers did have alternatives, farmers in Burma did not have good alternatives. So they, sort of, in a sense, moved into the hmm. vacuum created by Thailand. So the, it's not clear what you learn from the Thai experience if sort of if Burma hadn't been there hmm. would okay. Thai continue to produce opium but with much higher prices for the farmers yeah so professor in your opinion uh, you know what role can international collaboration and economic policies play in addressing the link between drug trafficking and war-torn countries which are heavily you know involved in drug supply yeah, I, I'm I'm going to be quite pessimistic and skeptical here. I mean, I, I've just been participating in the release of the World Drug Report. Mm -hmm. um, I have a sort of minor role on it as a member of the Scientific Advisory Committee for the report. The report's produced by UNODC staff, and we just give them technical comments. But in you know, they they have a chapter this year in the World Annual World Drug Report on uh, war-torn uh, countries and the role that drugs drugs play, and it emphasizes that you know, these are societies in which people have uh, sort of lives that have been devastated and livelihoods that have been right. devastated, and you really have to deal with that. The notion that you can somehow just deal with the drug problem That's, is yeah. naive. Uh, mm, it, okay. it comes, so I'm not sure there are any great insights there, um, except to say that war-torn societies are likely to have mm. distinctive drug problems. Okay. Thank you very much, Professor Peter, for giving us that insight. And this is something that has given us quite a lot of food for thought. Um, well, and we'll hope to have you on sometime in the future as well. Uh, until then, thank you very much for, again for coming on, and peace be upon you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. That was Professor Peter Reuter, uh, who is an expert in the field of criminology and drug policy, and just actually also told us he was had mm -hmm. a, has a minor role in producing the the drug report. Mm -hmm. And <coughs> excuse me, and so mm -hmm. he's given us a kind of very well informed, mm -hmm. somewhat bleak picture. But he, at the end, very importantly, did say that we can't just kind of. 
treat drug issue as an isolated issue. Right. The drug issues, rather, as an isolated issue. And just be like, oh, that's a separate issue. Mm. And let's just treat it and forget all of the context around it. Mm-hmm. Now, we're to- particularly talking about war-torn countries. Right. Now, war-torn countries are exactly that. They are war-torn. <laughs> their economy, mm-hmm. their civilization as they know it, is, is just destroyed. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't have the same kind of economic availability right. that a successful, affluent country would probably have. Mm-hmm. So, for them to want to try and find something, even if they wanted to, right. find something sustainable... As opposed to drug trade, mm-hmm. what options would they really have? Nothing and this is the question, yeah. not that many. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that the expert, uh, the Professor Peter, did allude to this. Mm-hmm. Because what this means then is that if we're particularly focusing on these war torn countries or countries where there's poverty right. or countries where there is some kind of internal civil diplomatic struggle, mm-hmm. then really, in essence, first and foremost, those issues need to be resolved first. Absolutely. And then we can look at the economy. Hmm. When the economy improves, you can start looking at alternatives because the professor was really just talking about the fact that until and unless we don't have a suitable alternative to what kind of business they are already involved in, and here we're talking about drug trafficking, mm-hmm. they're going to find it very hard. A farmer on the farm who needs to feed for his family and doesn't have any other means Absolutely. will probably find it quite unreasonable Mm-hmm. to just quit it all of, a, all of a sudden. And I think he beautifully explain, uh, uh, give us the example of Thailand. He said that, you know, Thailand previously, he was a big producer of, you know, opium. But then uh, he, the Thailand, you know, their uh, official, they gave them the form of the alternative options. And then that's how they, you know, control the opium, uh, cul- uh, you know, farming. But on the other hand, Myanmar doesn't have this kind of option. And then, you know, Myanmar is still, you know, producing uh, opium. So you have to have these kind of alternative options so you can replace uh, the, you know, bad thing with the wow. good things. That's it. And I yeah. think that's, when I look at this from an Islamic perspective, mm-hmm. first of all, yes, there is a responsibility on even the farmers, even the people partaking in it, <clears throat> to consciously know mm-hmm. that what I'm doing, is it, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And in the Quran, God Almighty does tell us that we should always try and go for that which is permissible and that which is right. And Absolutely. then he says that if you do this, that God will then mm-hmm. make your wealth abundant from Beautiful. his own blessing and his own grace. So to some degree, mm-hmm. a person consciously needs to try and always choose the better option. And mm-hmm. that, from an Islamic perspective, will result in a better result, in a more... It might not necessarily be the most wealthy, but in the long run for our family, for our society, it will be the better result. I see. But how can that be done if the government, your country, your people mm. don't help you to facilitate that? So that's a responsibility on mm. the government, right? On, on the people of that country. Mm. So that is the reality on the ground. Absolutely. Let's talk about, you know, the global market and Afghan connection. So the global heroin market is a complex issue with wide ranging, you know, implications. And understanding its scale and, you know, the connection to Afghanistan is crucial in addressing the challenges of drug trafficking and abuse. So according to, uh, you know, an United Nation, the annual consumption and seizure of uh, heroin, uh, you know, uh, represent a st- staggering flow of 430 to 450 tons into yeah. the global market. So of this total, approximately 380 tons of heroin uh, or, and morphine are produced exclusively from Afghan opium. Wow. So you can you know imagine the the you know stag- these uh, uh, staggering you know uh, stats, mm. and Afghanistan plays a significant role in the global heroin trade, mm. and it serves as a primary source of opium, 
which is then you know processed into heroin and distributed worldwide. Mm. So the country, you know, uh, geographical location and favorable condition for opium cultivation contribute to its you know uh, prominence in this illicit drug trade. You know, mm. you're right, mm. and there's a huge amount of of opium that's being produced, and we're forgetting that while consuming this drug maybe right. illegal recreationally in a lot of countries mm. that's not really the only illegal element of it mm-hmm. that happens in this trade mm-hmm. one major thing that we might have not mentioned so far is mm. human trafficking right because yes. how on earth do you actually get an illegal drug <laughs> from one country to another or from mm. one area to another of course you need to transport it through people right and people need to transport it through illegal ways yes. and this again is putting most likely mm. people who are poor with no other option into very risky difficult situations mm. because number one they know if they get caught mm-hmm. that's it done right. uh, but the way that sometimes it's even done the way that these drugs are hidden the way that they're concealed it's a very very meticulously done and sometimes it can be very dangerous mm. as well and we're going to be talking about this very shortly as well so this when we talk about this issue we must remember that it's not just drugs Yeah. That's not the only thing that's going on or someone mm-hmm. sitting somewhere in the mm-hmm. room mm-hmm. and getting a little bit high. That's not mm-hmm. what's that's not the only end result of it. There has been a chain reaction mm-hmm. of many many issues, many many things that people have had to do perhaps out of their choice of that the fact that they didn't have any other sustainable sources or that they were they were poor or they genuinely are doing it because they see that they can probably make a lot of money out of it and why not. Mm-hmm. So we need to look at this as a whole. But human trafficking mm. in in a general sense i know that obviously we know it's wrong <laughs> you know you can't say that yeah. human trafficking is right what does from an islamic perspective mm-hmm. what do we know about it and what do we know about slavery we're going to find that out very soon but first going to go to our expert on this topic of human trafficking who is naima ahmed baidu and she is going to be talking to us about this she is an anti slavery network manager for the uk bme anti slavery network and she's on with us right now assalamu alaikum warahmatullah and peace be upon you how are you today wa alaikum assalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh alhamdulillah i'm good jazakallah thank you very much for being on the show we're actually right now literally you caught us at a good time because <laughs> we were talking about drug trafficking and then we were we're kind of talking about the fact that drug trafficking isn't an isolated thing where that's like mm-hmm. the only thing that's going wrong people are using drugs that's not the only thing about it in fact the f- there, there is the whole issue about how drugs get to the the consumer's doorstep in the first place and that is of course one huge part of it is human trafficking which is of course is illegal but our question is that how do they actually do do this because how do these trafficking networks get people and then put them into their operations and these people i'm assuming are probably like i said non affluent they they they're living in poverty they have they're having facing difficult situations how are they used by these networks and how are they kind of forced into doing what these networks want them to do um thank you so much for your very important question and as you said earlier um human trafficking is quite huge and it's a bigger umbrella and drug trafficking is just a minute aspect of the various um aspects of human trafficking for example you you're looking at um sexual exploitation forced labor um that bondage so many other things and um organ harvest all accumulating together under the umbrella of human trafficking um i just would like to briefly say that 
Um, when you deeply look at the definition of human trafficking, it involves the recruitment or movement of people for exploitation. So either by use of threats, force, fraud, or the abuse of vulnerability. And I know in your introduction, you talked about um, using vulnerable people, people who are in deep, um, right. deep poverty and all that. And such people, because of their vulnerability, is so easy for them to be used for these kind of associated um, illegal um, issues. So mm-hmm. how do they get involved in drug trafficking? One, they are used for its transportation. If mm-hmm. it's any drug that um, is planted, they are using the plantation of it. They are using its distribution. And then so many other facets of it. So again, it's a combination of so many other causes, the individuals coming in. It takes vulnerable people to be pulled into the umbrella of drug trafficking. And then not just drug trafficking. Once they get into into it, there are other exploitative um, measures around it, which make it quite um, um, worrying. Mm-hmm. I don't say that the whole human trafficking chain and of the whole drug trafficking, we are looking at over a billion um, pound industry here. So mm-hmm. the perpetrators here, it's quite an industry that they are making huge money out of. But then for the vulnerable people, there are so many facets of it that we need to explore. We need to continue having this conversation. And I'm happy that we are having this conversation today. Right. So, Nima, in your experience, what are the common methods, you know, employed by drug traffickers to transport drugs using human trafficking victims? And how do they exploit the, you know, vulnerabilities of these individuals? Um... Before I answer your question, mm-hmm. we're looking at two dimensions of trafficking. Mm-hmm. One, those who are being trafficked um, beyond borders. So, for example, those who are trafficked from, let's say, um, Afghanistan to the UK mm-hmm. or from Ghana to the UK. or And again, I'm using the UK as a destination country here. So those who are being trafficked across borders. Mm-hmm. But then there's another angle of it where within UK, we are having individuals being trafficked across regions. For example, being trafficked from London to Wales, from Manchester to Scotland, right. and all these kind of um, measures. How do they use them? Mm-hmm. I'll use a typical example within the UK. They have young people who are trafficked from one region to the other, either to sell drugs or to push cartels or recruit other younger people within the transport of these drugs. So it's not just a measure of um, just selling the drugs. Individuals are also exploited to recruit other people into the whole drug trafficking um, business. So um, again, I'll use a typical example. If they target um, vulnerable families, families where fathers are not very present, Mm -hmm. or families where they know that there is no um, control, Right. Or families where they know that parents are always out looking for money, working two four seven, they know that these children are um, more vulnerable, and because they are vulnerable, they use the issue of money. That oh, if you work for me, I'll be able to give you this. I'll be able to give you A B C D, right? So they they wouldn't use you within that particular region, because again, they're legal matters you'll be able to see your auntie here and there. They'll rather take you to a whole different region to be able to wow. push these drugs. That is another thing. While they are exploring that, they know that it's, young, it's more 
effective for a younger person to poach another person into the drug cartel. So mm. you wouldn't see an older person, say within the age range of 30 or 20, speaking to a younger person, um, let's say around 11, 12, 13, right. trying to recruit them. It wouldn't make sense because, again, when you're raising kids, we talk about the um, stranger danger. Yeah. You keep mm. telling your kids stranger danger and all that. But then it's easier for your child's friend to be able to say, oh, I know this uncle yeah. who that ABCD. He says if we sell this particular thing, he's going to give us that. Hmm. That is how they pull other people into it. Wow. So this is just a, a typical example within the other dimensions of um, one country. And this is what we refer to as county lines trafficking. Wow. For those coming across the pond, i.e., from one country to the other country. Hmm. There's so many examples of individuals being told to swallow um, certain right. drugs, yeah. whether it's cocaine, whether it's certain pills. And then when they go through the whole immigration processes, they are not able to see it. Hmm. We've also seen those who are coming through the um, channels, coming through the boats. Right. You should not look at it as only an immigration issue. There's yeah. so many examples of individuals who are being exploited to go through the whole um, channel to be able to come here. So again, I particularly have a whole huge problem with the UK immigration mm. um, stance, where we look at every dimension as through the immigration lens. There are individuals who are being exploited, individuals who are being trafficked, who are being told um, things that they do not want to do. It's right. against their own will to come here. So it's not everyone who is going through the boat ride that really wants to come to the UK, okay. in all honesty. It's right. under an exploitative angle that we need to explore when, in all that. When, yeah. you, when you say that <clears throat> they're doing it against their own will, what, what, what particularly do you mean by that? Is it, is it the case where um, someone's uh, threatened them or they've held something ransom or, or what particularly, how is that happening? It involves all that you said. Okay. It's mm. either somebody is held at ransom, mm. somebody is deep in debt bondage, oh, okay. or okay. typically somebody is being forced against their will. Right. I'll give sense. you an example. And I'm going to use the West African um, side, side of things as an example. Individuals being trafficked from Nigeria to the UK typically are taken through um, what they call juju to mm -hmm. swear to a deity or to swear to whatever belief that they hold. Right. Okay. Now, once I bring you to this country, if you leave, per the agreements I have with you, this and this ABCD will happen to you. Right, so right. So there is that onward fear right from the beginning. That uh, is one. And once they get into the country, the perpetrators have a hold of their families back home. Mm. So they do not even have the power to report or to tell anyone their audio. Oh, it takes wow. forever. So whenever you meet a survivor who has been strong enough to come forward, you should be applauding such individuals. <laughs> because then again, the perpetrators have a hold of their families back home. They could do anything to them. The UK government or law enforcers do not have a hold or protective angle of their families back home. Okay. That is one thing. Another issue is that once we are looking, again, I'm still using uh, the West African narrative. Um, I'm not going deeper into the UAE because um, I did not have a lot of um, data based okay. on that. 
So the examples I have mostly are within the African region, and that's where I can speak authoritatively. Okay. Um, so I've given that Juju as an example. In recent times, we've talked about the whole um, health versus scheme of individuals coming in. What we are aware of is that individuals are being exploited or trafficked, and what they use to hold them is debt bondage. A typical example is that within the UK, um, the whole visa scheme, what they tell them is that um, you get the certificate to come, you do not pay for your, um, how do I say, your plane ticket and other fares. Hmm. So you know that you have a bigger opportunity. Where do you get the money? If I'm to convert a pound to a CD, 700 pounds is a huge amount of money. Right. But you know that once you are able to travel with to the UK, you'll be able to make that amount of money within a short period of time. Yeah. So the perpetrators or middlemen are like, I'll be able to loan you XYZ amount of money if you're able to get into the country. Then you are able to, you, you pay me over a period of time. As soon as you get into the country, your papers are seized, so many other things go into it. And I know with time, I wouldn't be able to go in um, deep or in detail to that. But as soon as they come, just £700, somebody will be using over five years to pay that amount of money. Whoa. The person is holding your certificate, paying your, holding your um, legal documentation, and they could tell you to do literally everything and mm -hmm. everything. So you end up working 24-7 and yet not getting anything out of it. Wow. That's why in my earlier um, introduction I said the issue of human trafficking or let's say modern slavery is quite huge. Hmm. Drug trafficking is just an aspect of that conversation. And it's only that those who are perpetrators who are interested or have access to these drugs choose to use vulnerable individuals that they have hold on to push such um, drugs. Hmm. If they get to a point where drugs are no longer profitable for them and sex um, sex trade is good for them, that is what they will use their um, they, will, they will use their victims for. Okay. If they get to a point where organ harvesting is the best lucrative wow. business, that is what they will use their victims for. Wow. So again, it's, it's, it's what is selling at the moment. What is selling so, within the destination country okay. that they put at so, the end of the day. So these people could really just be used for just about anything as long as uh, these anything. perpetrators have uh, some kind of ransom on their head. Uh, my, I think our last question to you really will be, and this is a tough question, by the way. <clears throat> there might not necessarily be an answer for this. But if someone is a victim of this, what really can they do? Let's say they were in the UK or... They're finally here, but they they're in this vicious cycle. What can they do? Okay, so one, um, if there is anybody within the UK who is a victim of human trafficking, there are amazing charities out there that you can secretively, or um, I want to find the right word, that you can approach. Africa yeah. Safeguarding Children is one of the charities. Bernardo's is one of those Bernardo's, charities. Okay. Yeah, there are so many other charities as well. The most important thing is getting a charity that will be able to understand you, speak your language, understand your background, because again, the various reasons behind human trafficking are quite different. Right. Traditions and culture plays within it, and sometimes 
certain dimensions of individuals or races do not understand why certain things are happening. So I've mentioned Africa Safeguarding Children, Bernardo's. These are some of the charities that easily come on top of my okay. head for you to approach. Right. And once you've approached, we also have the national referral mechanism. When you speak to say charities and you meet the criteria of truly being a victim of human trafficking, right. they will either refer you to the national referral mechanism for them to be able to ascertain and then give you the needed support that you have. Okay. Issues of human trafficking is so, and more than slavery, let me mention this, is so close to us. The people that are involved in it are very unassuming. They may be our friends, family uh, members, individuals that you are not even thinking about. So right. wow. we need to be very open, very kind, hmm. and not very judgmental Understood. when these issues um, come up. Okay. Thank you very much, Neymar Ahmed, for coming onto the show and giving us this insight. I didn't actually know a lot about about this, and mm-hmm. I'm really thinking about it hard now. And we really, really appreciate your time, and we hope that we can speak to you again sometime soon. Jazakallah. And assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Wa alaikum salam. Imran, that, that's a bit mad. Hmm. That's how I'm going to put that's it. Because you know what? Um, she spoke about the two kinds of trafficking. You got the trafficking from country to country. You got, mm-hmm. you got trafficking within a city to city. Hmm. And you know, I, 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 will, I, will, I have to say honestly that to some degree, I thought that there are people that generally do this mm-hmm. because they're like, we're going to make a, bu- a buck out of it. Yeah, that was my yeah? opinion as well. Yeah. I mean, I was aware to some degree that, mm-hmm. yeah. It, there are people that are forced into it mm-hmm. but now my kind of the way I look at it now is I'm like at least with the country to country ones mm. it seems like it's mostly people who have just been as it says humanly there's human trafficking yes, going yes, on yeah. and these people have been held at ransom their families are maybe held at ransom they're in debt uh, their documents are being held they don't mm. know what to do yeah. and I'm really glad that Neymar was able to come on and, and say that if there is someone going through this mm-hmm. And pa- I mean, who knows who's who, if they're listening right now? Even Absolutely. that the right place to go are to the charities such as Barnardo's, for example, and mm-hmm. get the support that's required. Absolutely. And for people like us, who, like I said, she said it's a, it could be anyone. It's very unassuming at times. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> number one, not to be judgmental about why someone's doing it, but mm-hmm. also to be looking out for the red flags. Mm-hmm. Like if you know someone that's in this in this industry, you've heard about it, to kind of not straight away be like oh and cut them out and finish mm. them off maybe they're going through something really difficult right. and trying to understand and see how you can help them mm. and what kind of support they need and mm. uh, this is really important because human trafficking is basically modern day slavery yeah. and uh, people are helpless in this situation we need to help them not actually just judge them and, and push them down but of course we must push on to our next expert and try and get to the bottom of this mm. story uh, which is becoming fastly a very interesting and complex story we have with us Vicky Bear on the line um, who has delivered drug and alcohol treatment services for over 20 years now and for the past 15 years she's been working for Project 6 and is now the CEO of Project 6 this organisation works across Keithley and Bradford and in West Yorkshire and in Sheffield and Doncaster in South Yorkshire Welcome to the show, Vicky Beer, uh, on the Drive Time Show. How are you doing today? I am great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So, we've spoken about drug trafficking, we've spoken about human trafficking, and now we're going to be speaking to you as well uh, to get some more insight into what you do. And Project 6 just sounds really cool. It's like, it sounds like some kind of mega undercover... <laughs> Uh, operation. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming you probably have some cool uniforms. Tell us a little bit about it. 
Sorry to disappoint. So <laughs> we are a charity. Right. We've been going for about 35 years. Um, wow. So we work Keithley, Bradford, Sheffield and Doncaster. And we try and help provide people with choice and opportunity to make and sustain changes to their well-being. Wow. So you'll notice it doesn't say anything about drugs in there because actually mm. people come with a raft of issues, and sometimes it might not be about making change to their drug or alcohol use. It might be about change to support with their mental health or help with their housing or welfare benefits or something like that. So we um, so yeah, and we let people define their own well-being mm. and their own positive change okay. as well. That's up to them, not up to us. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the show we've been speaking about pretty much the provider of drugs. Mm. And right yeah. now, I think we're going to slowly come towards the consumer side. And particularly... Yeah what do people do and what kind of support is available to to people that that are looking to come out of out of this um so with with regards to yourselves can you give some insight into kind of the various treatments and the kinds of support that is available for people who you know are going through substance abuse issues and would like to do something about it yeah um i think the first point to make is that most people that use alcohol or any other drug actually use them and cause relatively little harm to themselves or other people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's only a small amount of people that do end up getting in a pickle with uh, their alcohol or or drug use as well. So there are a number of different types of services that people can get. But the second important point to make Mm -hmm. is that there are less now than there were 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So 10 years of austerity and government disinvestment in this Oh. has really badly affected our sector and people's ability to get into kinds of treatment. Recently, there is some increased investment, but it, it's arrived very late. So we're, we're in year two of a little bit more investment, but it's nowhere near to where it was 10 years ago. So that's the kind of context. Oh. There. So we, what we can do to people, we can provide harm reduction support. So that's for people who aren't ready to change or aren't able to change or don't want to change. Mm. So that might involve support to people to help them reduce a little bit of their use or use it more safely. So that would include things like needle exchanges. It would include supporting people to slowly reduce their alcohol use, maybe drink less strong alcohol, drink more fluids. It would involve making sure people can access GPs because once people get to a certain stage and they're drinking and using on the streets, then it's really hard to access normal health care. And that also includes advice and information about people that are using drugs um, that aren't, that you wouldn't have a prescribing intervention for, so party drugs, street drugs, so nitrous oxide, the types of drugs that we see young people using at festivals over the summer as well. So there's those services that help people reduce harm. And then if people do want to make some changes, there's um, sometimes there's drug and alcohol services in each local authority area in the country and people can just contact those. There is an opportunity to see a GP or a nurse about prescription or it might be some one-to-one support. So support from um, a support worker sometimes that has lived experience of this themselves and, and can provide some support to help people change what's going on in their head basically. All right. So, in addition to that, you can also, there's, there's things like residential rehab, so that's kind of 
the end of the pathway. So that's where people can apply to go to rehab and go mm-hmm. and stay in a different setting for maybe six months and really work on themselves and their drug use. Right. So, Vicky, what are the major barriers that, you know, individuals seeking drug treatment uh, encounters and how can these barriers be addressed? There are lots of barriers. So one mm. of the barriers was the austerity and the services being really badly run down. Right. Um, so there's, and there's barriers in the services sometimes, mm-hmm. but that's up to us to sort out. In society, the biggest barrier is shame. Mm-hmm and stigma and people feeling really ashamed. I mean, it's hard enough for anyone to ask for help, isn't it? You know, there's some people are better at it than others, but actually asking for, for help is really hard for people. And if you feel ashamed of what's happened to you and the fact that you are taking drugs or you are drinking mm-hmm. alcohol and you're feeling the shame that you feel it's brought on your family and your community, it's really hard to go and ask for help. And I think there's particular challenges amongst some of our communities, the Muslim community being one, because our services aren't properly representative. So people won't walk through the door and see somebody that looks like them or talks like them, and they might think, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. So we've got to work a whole lot harder mm-hmm. in, in working with, with those communities to say, how can we work more effectively together and how can we work to actually prevent people using falling into the trap of we end up using substances and getting into a pickle with them as well. So I, I would really put it down to, to shame and stigma. But also, services aren't great at being open flexibly. They're quite often open to nine till five. And okay. actually, if people are working or if kids are at school and want to come after school. Um, so evenings and weekends is really important to make things more accessible. And doing more stuff online where people can be anonymous is a, is a good way of tackling it as well. Mm-hmm. Right, excellent, excellent insight for us and for everybody at home sure. as well to kind of see what's going on, what's available as well. And Vicky, we'd just like to say thank you to you as well for doing this. I know you mentioned that this is something that over the past few years is, is becoming underfunded, it's becoming more difficult to do, but you're sticking in the game. I think, what is it now? You said 30 plus years running in the mm-hmm. game. Uh, we hope yeah. th- the best for you and that you can, you know, augment your reach and try and help as many people as possible. Thank you very much for coming on and letting us know about Project 6. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate mm-hmm. your time. Thank you very much. Peace be upon you. Um, that was Vicky Beer, who is now the CEO of Project 6, mm-hmm. looking at the well, the very, very various things we discovered and discussed. And it's not just about drugs. People going through various issues can contact Absolutely. there as well. Now we are coming to end, so I'd just like to, you know, give a little bit Islamic perspective on, you know, this issue and drug yes. traffic, uh, you know, on drugs. So Islam, you know, Islamic perspective on drug is, you know, uh, ground, grounded in the understanding of their harmful effects on individuals and society. So Islam categorically, you know, prohibits the consumption and use of intoxication and mind, uh, you know, altering substance, including marijuana. So the Holy Quran addresses the issue by stating. They ask thee concerning wine and game of hazard. Say in both there is a great sin and also some advantages for men. But their sin is greater than their advantage. And they ask thee what they should spend, say what she can spare. Thus God thus thus 
Does Allah make his commandments clear to you that you may reflect? And the teaching of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, further emphasized the you know, prohibition of intoxication substances. He stated, whatever causes intoxication in large amounts, a small amount of it is also you know, uh, unlawful. And this hadith, you know, um, under, underscores the strict stance against the substance that can lead to intoxication. Mm, this is this is actually pretty mind-boggling because mm-hmm. yes, there's intoxication. Mm-hmm. There's also a deception as well, though. Right. Because put aside the people that are being trafficked, they're not doing it out of out of will. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not being not doing this willingly. It's, it's it's something that they're forced to do. But there is a fragment of people, particularly from let's say whether it's inter, inter, intercontinental, whether it's within a country, international. Um, where there are children at the age of 11 or 10 that are being told by their friends, oh, hell, I know a a man around the road, he does drug dealing and we can earn a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And and they're kind of enticed into it. Right. Like, oh, you know what? We might earn a little bit of money. And you know they'll see a, little, a lot of music videos which glorify this yeah. whole kind of gang culture. And what they'll see mm-hmm. is this. They'll see a child who's been given mm-hmm. one, two, three, five, sometimes even 10,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. And they're holding that cash, yeah? Right. And they're making a video of themselves flaunting that money. Here, look mm. at how much cash I've got sitting on a cool car. Mm. This is this is the money. This is the money that you get from doing the the kind of drug dealing kind of gang culture lifestyle. Right. Well, the reality is, is that money isn't even theirs. Absolutely. The the person that's given that, that money, the manager of let's say this this just drug dealing organization, has mm-hmm. given this money to them. Or that they've just sold some drugs to someone and that person's given them the money mm-hmm. and this kid is the middleman who needs mm-hmm. to now give it back mm-hmm. to the person higher up. But mm-hmm. while they have it for a day or two, mm-hmm. they will show the whole world, mm-hmm. hey, just like a little kid would, yeah. I've got £10,000. Mm-hmm. And it's a deception because it's not actually theirs. They need mm-hmm. to give it back. And But with the impression that it gives to other youngsters ar- around their area is that, wow, this guy's got a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Where's he getting that from? <laughs> not knowing... Yeah. That he doesn't even have it at all. Mm-hmm. So this deceptive enticement is something that is we need to be careful about. But we also need to educate our children mm-hmm. that uh, this lifestyle that you see them living on their music videos with their cool cars and the nice clothes, it's not to some large degree it doesn't even belong to them. Mm-hmm. And to some, a, a very big truth is that even if they have some of it, it's not something that they're gonna have forever. Right. Um, that a very small portion or a poverty portion of it is what they might earn from the mm. drug trade. Mm. And we need to break this illusion as well mm. <clears throat> that you're not going to get rich like this. Mm. What's going to happen to you is you're going to end up in jail. Right. Or even worse still, you end up using the very product that you're selling on. Mm. And that can make Simply, you a slave yeah. of your own business. Absolutely. So education is key when it comes to children uh, because our previous callers, uh, I think it was Neymar, said mm-hmm. that, look, it's not going to be a, a 30-year-old man who's right. going to come to your kid and tell, and tell them that come and sell drugs with me. Mm-hmm. It could just be uh, your child's friend from school. Mm-hmm. It could just be your child's friend from down the street. Mm-hmm. So we as parents <coughs> need to be very consciously aware mm-hmm. of what's happening and what's going around. And uh, also one of our previous guest callers, I think it was actually right in the beginning, um, did mention that, again, I think it was Neymar, um, mm-hmm. that a lot of these drug traffickers look for vulnerable children yes so what is vulnerable children she Mm. said that it's those where the parents are neglectful they're either not Mm. there enough they're not they're not they're not um they're busy there in in their own you know they're busy in their jobs or Mm. whatever and of Mm. course while that's important 
this is what drug traffickers are looking for. Oh, okay. So we need to be very, very careful for that. Anyway, that's the topic at hand today. It is a difficult, sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. We have to take it very, very seriously. Uh, we hope that you did learn something from the show. And we're now going to take a short break. We're going to come back after the break for our next topic. What is the next topic, Iran? Uh, truthfulness, say the right word. We're talking about the uh, one of the missionary and uh, uh, give you the insight. Cool. Well, we'll be right back after the news. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah and peace be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show and we're now going to be discussing truthfulness, telling the truth, not telling a white lie, not fibbing, but uh-huh. telling the right thing and we're going to talk about why that even matters in today's world. This is a live show, 0208-687-7878. Imran, mm-hmm. what's wrong with telling a little bit of a lie? I think um, telling a lie... First of all, it's our moral responsibility to be truthful about everything. Okay. And uh, once you know, if you if if you tell a lie, then you <laughs> have to tell a lie for for in order to you know hit that first lie. Uh, There's a chain chain thing. <laughs> so it's uh, so no, uh, more. Uh, I think if my answer will be, it's morally incorrect. That's the main main answer. You know what? Hmm. The way you described it, it sounds like it's a lot of hard work as well. <laughs> <laughs> telling a lie, right? Yeah. So telling the truth is probably harder to do in the moment. Yeah. But it saves you from a lot of hard work <laughs> in the future. I, I mean, okay, mm. we're going to take a look at this, of course, this topic and uh, telling the truth. Um, whether, I mean, I think most people know mm. it's the right thing to do. Right. But I think what needs to be talked about is, is it something that pays off? Mm. Is it something that Gonna, is going to give you your money's worth what do you what do you think from the Islamic perspective when we look at <clears throat> people in the past mm-hmm. whether they're people mentioned in the Quran or other people who had a choice to either tell a lie mm-hmm. or speak the truth and I don't just mean when I speak about truth <clears throat> I don't just mean it in a in a singular kind of sense that oh um, I'm not going to tell my teacher that I, I didn't do my homework because I was lazy what I mean is a truth meaning a deeper fundamental truth. What do you stand for? Mm-hmm. Do you stand for a truth or do you stand for a deception? Right. And that can be something which is very difficult in life to decide. What do you stand for? Who are you? And a deeper truth. We're going to come into all of these things. But Imran, mm-hmm. before we even go into that kind of whole thing, from the Islamic perspective and what we know, where there have been people who had a choice really to... Mm-hmm kind of fold and just be quiet and not say anything and try and just avoid any kind of drama. They could have done that if they'd lied or if they had said nothing because you can lie Mm. or you can just lie by omission. Lying by omission is just being quiet and not saying anything at all. Right. Or you can do the hard thing which is tell the truth. Absolutely. Even though it's going to cause you a lot of problems. problems. So what does history say? What did, who did history favor rather? <laughs> I mean, uh, there's a famous saying of that truth always prevails. Okay. So I I think if you look toward, throughout the history, the people who are being truthful in their life, they all were, they always prevail against the evil, and uh, being truthful in life is not just you know a virtue, but it also uh, somehow disciplines you, because uh, you know if you if you know that you know you're going to lie about everything. Yeah. And somehow you become a lazy or you know, don't don't yeah. really give uh, don't really you know give attention to everything. We just say okay, I'm going to lie about this thing. But one, when you decided that you know I'm going to stick wow. to the truthness, then uh. it gives you some kind of discipline so, so and some kind what, of you know. What you're kind of saying here mm. that, that that makes a lot of sense actually mm. from the straight off the bat, mm. because if you know 
Like you can always just get away with it by lying. Mm. You're not able to hold yourself accountable to anything. Right. And that's bad because that's mm. really bad for self-development. You mm. won't even let yourself be accountable to yourself. You'll lie to yourself. And how yeah. do you lie to yourself? You're going to lie to yourself by doing this. Oh, I need to work out tonight. No, uh-huh. no, nah, nah, don't worry. I'll do it tomorrow. Yes. But yes. you know you're lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. But you're so used to doing this that you don't even realize. Mm. And that's how it becomes detrimental to your whole way of life. Absolutely. Lie here, a little lie there, a little lie there, and then it just becomes you. Mm-hmm. You're never going to do something, but you always just put it off by procrastinating, and which is basically telling yourself a little bit of a white lie. I'll uh-huh. do it tomorrow. Yeah. I'll do it tomorrow. And the Quran literally says, uh-huh. never say about something that you'll do it tomorrow. Because <laughs> it's not the way. you, you Unless you pray for it and will mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very good way to put it. Lying brings in about you a lack of accountability. And it if we talk about the nature of truth, you know, what, what is the truth? Because truth has, I, I, because you know, everyone can have hand, have his own definition of truth. Okay. So according to the Holy Quran, uh, Allah the Almighty <laughs> says that, "O ye who believe, fear Allah and say the right word. He will reform your conduct for you and forgive your you your sins." And whoso obeys Allah and His Messenger shall surely attain, uh, uh, you know, mighty success. So, uh, God Almighty, in these verses, mm. uh, you know, emphasized to adopt taqwa, righteousness, okay. and to say what is, you know, straightforward and clear. And the very interesting, you know, um, uh, uh, explanation of the Promised Messiah, as Mizahullah Muhammad of Qadian, he says that no, uh, you know, the right word um, entails altering what is completely true appropriate and has no hint of randomness and uselessness and falsehood so this is the definition of uh, truthfulness okay and uh, um, you know above statement of the promised messiah uh, makes it clear that taqwa or righteousness is attained when truth is upheld in every situation in times of difficulty or ease be it when you know uh, arriving at a decision when it is decision making you know capacity at time of giving testimony at home with wife children with friends and family in business while okay. selling or buy and with once you know employer so is I'm this gonna, I'm going to ask you a really tough question mm-hmm. because it, like, truthfulness sounds like a pretty kind of I would say easy kind of right. topic to talk about in the sense that it's a very positive thing everybody mm-hmm. wants to talk about the truth right. find the truth be the truth and it's all very good and well right but what it's what I'm trying to get at here in this society now where this is this is a woke society, right? Right. This is a social media society. Mm-hmm. People like love to speak their truth, and that's fine. Like it's already kind of a thing. I'm mm-hmm. trying. What I'm trying to say is, being like speaking your truth is kind of a fashion right now. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, l- let me tell you about my truth, and that's cool. That's true. That's calm. But when I mean like silence by omission, or like not not lying by omission, what about that though? Because there's lots of things that people won't say mm-hmm. just to avoid getting into issues getting into trouble mm. or being because they're afraid of speaking about who they are and i know that the quran briefly does mention something that we know in the islamic terminology as taqiyya which means right. to basically not say something because they might put you into danger mm-hmm. and there are obviously different schools of thoughts who apply this terminology in different places mm-hmm. um where can you stay silent to save yourself where should you not stay silent mm-hmm. um and there's the, for example, there is the the saying of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that if you see something that is wrong, and you dislike it, mm-hmm. then the first thing to do is the best thing to do is to stop that with your hands. Mm-hmm. That's like mm-hmm. physically putting in some hard work. If you can't do that, 
mm-hmm. then you should speak out against it, right? Oh, okay. Which is oh. obviously pretty straightforward. Mm. You can straightforward. you get what I mean by that. Mm. And if you can't even do that, mm. then the the last thing that you should do is that okay, don't speak about it, don't um, do anything about mm. it, but in your own heart, just think about it as the wrong thing. Mm. Be like, yeah, no, this is bad. We. Sh- I'm, I'm, I, sh- I think this is evil right. But that is the lowest Lose. form of faith mm-hmm. So there's three stages here The highest stage of, of, of speaking the truth Is to do something about it mm-hmm. Then you have the second stage of truth Which is to speak about it And the last one is to just Just within your own mind Just be clear that it's wrong mm-hmm. Now once we've understood these levels mm-hmm. And we've also know, But we also know that the Quran does support To some degree staying silent about some things Well let's say a, a, a Appropriational diplomacy mm-hmm. Yeah What should a Muslim In this society How should they live their lives I'm not talking about Anything particular here But Do we need to go Out of our way To speak the truth mm-hmm. Do we need to do that or, or are we just cool Are we just okay with I'm Muslim That's right I, I think it's good for me But that's enough I don't need to tell anybody about it um, I don't need to tell other people That what they're doing is wrong Because it's fine you, know, that do, you do you Everybody can do their own thing mm-hmm. This is kind of what we have in this society, right? What what do what does the Muslim do with that? I think it's a very important question that you ask. Uh, I, what I get is, is it essential to say everything that is true? Yeah. So <laughs> so Islam teaches the truthfulness and is a far more than having an honest tongue. In Islam, truthfulness is the you know conformity of the outer with the inner, the action with the intention, the speech with belief, and the practice with the preaching. So as such, truthfulness is a very you know, a cornerstone of the 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 very cornerstone cornerstone of the upright Muslim character, right. and the springboard of his or her virtues. Deeds. So while explaining the verse, which I've just um, mentioned previously, that uh, all you who believe fear God and say what is based on truth, uh, the promised Messiah explained this verse that, you know, do not talk randomly, and speak at the right time right. and right place hmm. so uh, explaining uh, this uh, you know statement of the uh, the worldwide head of the muslim community his holiness uh, Mursur Ahmed, the fifth caliph of the muslim community states that a benchmark of Sadid, the right word truthfulness hmm. is that whenever one say whenever one say is you know whatever one says is uh, you know pertinent and appropriate and it is not essential to say everything that is true. It is not, you know, um, pertinent and appropriate. It can cause sometime discord and strife. Uh, okay, so what you're mm. trying, I think I, what comes to my mind when you say that mm. is the Quran also says that when we speak to people, we speak to them with hikmah, which is wisdom, right. and a hasana, which is a good admonishment, Absolutely. and that's contextual. So you speak to a person with regards to what may benefit that person. Is this yeah. kind of what you're absolutely, trying to say? Absolutely, absolutely. So I think uh, wisdom, for f- some time, you know, uh, we say that we are saying the right thing. But okay. in actuality, <clears throat> if we see the circumstances, that wasn't the right thing to say okay. to someone. But le- so le- using the okay. wisdom, hmm. right time, right place, and use the wisdom, that is the, you know, uh, that is the thing which Islam wants. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can think of examples of like, for example, Hazrat Bilal, right. on. He, had a, he had a chance. Mm-hmm. Like uh, his Umayyah was his, his He was a slave obviously Hazrat mm-hmm. Bilal mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. And his owner was Umayyah mm-hmm. And he, he basically said to him Look I'll set you free All right. I'll do what You know you do what you want On one condition mm-hmm. you Just say that you don't worship God mm-hmm. And just say uh, And praise my idol gods instead Right And he basically just didn't do it Right mm-hmm. And he kept on persecuting him Kept on punishing him He threw Bilal onto the hot sands And you know All the kind of torments That you can imagine 
And every single time that mm. um, Umayyah would say to him, come on, man, just mm. give it up. Right. I'll give you what you want. Mm. He would say, no, God is one. God is one. Ahadun ahad. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beautiful testimony of, of what it means to be the truth in, in t- and the verbal truth. Mm. That he didn't utter something which, even though he could have, could have. to make his life easier, he mm. chose not to. Mm. I'm not saying that there, there is no other way to do it. Like this is, if you don't do this, you failed. Mm-hmm. But this is like the, the, the epitome of it. This is the height exactly. of, mm. of that truth. And you mentioned also <laughs> that you can't just be truth in your in your words. It has to be in your actions as well. Because Absolutely. the Quran also says that you should not do, or you should not rather say what you do not do. And that Absolutely. most hateful is it to God that you say something, but don't even do it yourself. That's kind of hypocrisy, basically. Absolutely. So Hazrat Bilal used to defend it, mm-hmm. but then he also did it as well. Mm-hmm. As a Muslim practice, prayed. He, You could see his devotion. And this is where I think this is the, the highlight of what mm-hmm. it means to be truthful. That you never fold. Really, really, really. You never ever... Fold your values If you if you know something To be the truth It doesn't matter How many people Stand up against you mm. You will not fold to that You will not Give it up So Are there examples I mean I've just spoken About Hazrat Bilal Are there mm. other examples Of prophets Other companions who, Who've stuck fast Or held fast To the truth And how did it end up For them Absolutely um, I just it, One example came into my mind Is uh, The very example Of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu when in in the beginning uh, uh, of Islam, he was preaching uh, the message of Islam that there is only one God, uh, and you know uh, all of the leaders of the Meccan came to the uh, you know uncle of the Holy Prophet to the Holy Prophet and he uh, basically they asked to the uncle of the Holy Prophet that you know please stop this man, the Holy Prophet and if he stops. Uh, we can, you know, give him the most beautiful woman in the Arab, and we can, uh, you know give uh, you know lots of money to him right but the holy prophet ﷺ said that if they put the uh, in my right hand the sun and in my left hand a uh, moon i will not stop uh, wow. you know spreading the true message of truth so this is this is the you know uh, this is i think standing against evil and just speaking a truth what what you believe but again you know um, wisdom is uh, you know um, as we're talking about uh, wisdom should be kept inside okay Mm -hmm. but should you be so the Holy Prophet peace be upon him got all these offers Mm -hmm. obviously he said no Mm -hmm. I'm going to stick to my truth right and what did they do to him they just they basically tried to kick him out of his own homeland Mm -hmm. which they were successful in actually for for a short period of time Mm -hmm. and they basically pretty much I would define it as cancelling him uh-huh. Like everybody turned against him. No, 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 no. He's not going to be valid. We we want to get him out of here. Finish him. The Quraysh did want to do that. This mm-hmm. is this is what they wanted to achieve. But the Prophet sallallahu still did not fold. Mm-hmm. He did like he didn't give up. He's like, oh man, who's going to listen to me now? Right. No one's going to respect me now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lose all my followers. Mm-hmm. He didn't think like that. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that I I really value mm-hmm. because <clears throat> it there's there it's so relevant to this day and age. Where as a Muslim living in society, it doesn't matter what the issue is. You might be afraid of getting cancelled. Mm. Oh, if I say this, oh, I'm going to sound too religious, man. <laughs> I'm going to sound too hardline. Mm. And then what? No one's going to listen to me. They're going to think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. And people just might want to think that, you know what? It's easier just to be quiet. Right. But is that wisdom? I mean, wisdom is, uh, is upon you to decide whether it's the good time to speak okay. or not. But if you think that this is the universal truth 
and you have to speak otherwise the much higher greater harm can be done uh-huh. then that should that's then then you should speak the truth and the case of the holy prophet sallam because he was a prophet of god and this was his mission so he cannot you know just stop by by the bunch of people right so what kind of inspiration should a muslim take from that what i mean in in this t- mm-hmm. in this day and age if a person is just not saying something because they're afraid that people might get mm-hmm. a bit angry with them or upset or they might I don't know, you know something like that mm-hmm. a bit of a cancel thing mm-hmm. but the truth is still important to be spoken mm-hmm. should they just still say it I mean again I think it is depending on the situation and as as the holy quran say that wajadilhum billati yasun that speak uh, uh with them the best strategy or best argument which you have okay so it really depends on the hikmah wisdom and appropriate time because you know sometime uh, you can think that truth, being truthful it is good for you but uh, you know on the other hand it can really hurt someone else or maybe you know um uh, it's not appropriate time uh, but wait for the appropriate time and then speak the truth but this is the you know uh, i would say that um this is uh, the normal people do but the, you know the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or high rank people as you give the example yeah. is a much different case for them okay mm. cool so with regards to truthfulness mm. um you said that one's you know the way the, what they say and what they do should correlate mm-hmm. and we're going to come into that very shortly but we do have our guest caller for this segment of truthfulness with us today who is an imam Abdul Hadi Masood is a missionary in the UK I believe serving in Keithley okay yeah yes which is where project 6 is <laughs> but we will be speaking to him now assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi peace be upon you welcome to the drive time show alaikum assalam zakla for having me no, it's a pleasure to have you on uh, Abdul Hadi so our topic today of course is truthfulness being the truth speaking the truth standing for the truth and all of that stuff and all of the ribbons that come with it but where does this come from from an islamic perspective because is this even important now the quran does emphasize the importance of truthfulness in different verses which we've kind of spoken about here mm-hmm. could you shed some light on some of the verses that highlight the significance of truthfulness and what that means for muslims how do they actually implement that in their lives um uh, i think i will be repeating uh, quite a lot of stuff but uh, but i'll still the first thing that i wanted to point out is that truthfulness in the holy quran uh, is a very wide topic mm-hmm. uh, okay. so for example uh, generally truthfulness is seen as uh, what you speak right Mm-hmm. so uh, your speech should be truthful right the holy quran it has a very uh, wider meaning for example being sincere being a hypocrite uh, that your tongue your mind your heart should be uh, should be uh, should align with each other right that's a truthfulness in the holy quran as well and, uh, you know fulfilling the promise uh, that's truthfulness as well okay. then in the holy quran it is also considered a station a very high station uh, uh according to the holy quran which uh, the muslims should strive for in their spiritual journey okay you know coming back to speaking the truthfulness the truth um the holy quran for example says and it put great emphasis on it holy quran says a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem 
قولوا قولا سديدا speak the truth the word uh, the holy quran god almighty has used in this as sadida mm-hmm. which doesn't just mean truthfulness it means being straightforward mm-hmm. that's higher standard that god almighty has put for a muslim that he, they shouldn't just be truthful but they should be straightforward because sometimes when we speak the truth we can be very deceiving right yeah so another verse that i wanted to want to say is that god almighty has described truthfulness as one of his own attributes and you know showing importance of truthfulness uh, in this way so for example god almighty says man astaqu min al min allahi kila but who is more truthful than Allah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in many verses in the Holy Quran, God Almighty has put emphasis on truthfulness in this way. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, you've just mentioned that there is nobody more truthful than God in speech. And I think one way of also being truthful would be to hold fast to the Quran because mm-hmm. that is something that we then hold as the word of God to be true. Right. And that would be probably one manifest way of doing that. Um, but, Hadith, um, how does truthfulness contribute to building trust and maintaining healthy relationships both in uh, the workplace both at in and at home is it something that is merited it's it's something that's worth something in a relationship speaking the truth so uh, what is interesting about the verse qulu qawlan sadida is that the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam you know in when the marriage announcement used to happen Holy Prophet ﷺ used to recite this verse, um, uh, showing the importance of this verse and the link of this verse with marriage, which is a very important, if not the most important relationship that uh, an adult has in, in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that shows that being straightforward, being straightforward, being truthful, transparent, these qualities are very important in uh, a relationship. Also, outside your uh, marriage, outside this relationship, also other relationships, you know that truthfulness is one of the fundamental things uh, to building a trust. And trust is very important in a relationship. Um, You know, it is said that it takes a lifetime to build trust, a second to break it. It basically means that, you know, you have to be very truthful, straightforward, transparent your whole life then there is a trust that is built and even if you lie once you can break that uh, trust uh, straight away yeah, even in our professional life mm-hmm. uh, we'll see that you know it is a good reputation to have uh, it, that you're a truthful person i think any employer uh, would uh, be would have the, if someone has the reputation that the truthful person mm-hmm. And any employer would be, uh, you know, would love to have that person. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so it's it's generally truthfulness is a very uh, good uh, attribute uh, quality that a person should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, Mansab, is a very interesting question. You know, honesty can sometimes be, you know, can sometimes be uncomfortable or challenging. Particularly when faced with dif- different, you know, difficult situation or, you know, um, in in conversation, 
how can individual balance the need for truthfulness with sensitivity and compassion yeah uh, it is it is a very um, interesting question mm -hmm. um, coming from a spiritual point of view first um, i would say that when you speak the truth for the right reason mm -hmm. um, when you do it and in islam we speak the truth to please people but for, uh, to please God Almighty, uh, then it is our belief that God Almighty will, uh, you know, help us uh, in, you know, in the, in the difficult situations that we uh, might end up in. But the reason why it is a virtuous deed, it is a big deed in, uh, in Islam, is because of this, uh, you know, difficult, uh, that we can end up in difficult situations or in an awkward position mm -hmm. when speaking the truth. And it is very hard to do it. And that's the why the reward from God Almighty is big as well. Mm -hmm. So when we speak, we have to be ready to face the consequences as well. But how can we, uh, you know, when it can be a very sensitive thing. And right. we know that in religion, uh, sensitivity is something that we should take care of, mm -hmm. that we should uh, be mindful of. Um, and I remember uh, one of the sermons of uh, Hazrat uh, Khalifa Tumusirabe, the fourth leader of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Mm -hmm. He mentioned uh, this uh, this balance that we should have uh, of truthfulness and uh, compassion. Right. 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 Uh, that you know, some people they say that you know when they they're speaking the truth, they're hurting the other person. Mm -hmm. Then their defense is that, oh, should we lie? Right? Mm. So the answer to that, you know, and it, is, it was mentioned uh, before as well, mm -hmm. that we should, uh, you know, it's not always a good uh, thing to just say something. You know, sometimes the best response is to be silent, right? right, right. Not to say anything. Mm. Sometimes we have to say something, right? Okay. How do we deal with that situation? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one way we can deal with uh, those situations is to be mindful of our tone, hmm. the way we say things. You know, because we know that even if something is not, dis uh, you know, uh, very disrespectful, but we say it in a way which, uh, which is a very disrespectful tone, then the other person will, uh, you know, uh, take offense to it. Right, right. Okay. So, so tone is something, or the way you present your thing, or the way you say it. I think that should be. We should be mindful of that. Okay. Thank you very much, Abdul Hadi, for coming on and giving us your insight. We do have one more question. I think before we're going to go. Yeah. So very beautifully explained the previous question. Very beautifully explained. So can you, you know, um, share any incident of truthfulness in the life of the Holy Prophet or in the life of the Promised Messiah, Peace be upon. Um, so the Holy Prophet Sallallahu uh, you know, there are so many incidents in the life of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu and it shows because um, what we know from the life of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu is that before he claimed to be a prophet, mm -hmm. he was known as Sadiq and Al-Amin, right? right? Uh, which means the truthful and the trustworthy. Mm -hmm. you know? So you can just only imagine how truthful you have to be, that everyone is calling you by these names. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the life of the Promised Messiah, we see that as well, that he was constantly truthful and always truthful. One incident that 
been mentioned, uh, you know, uh, it, it is mentioned quite a lot. I'll mention it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Promised Messiah says himself that once he sent a package with a letter uh, to a Christian lawyer, and uh, the Christian lawyer, because he knew all the regulations and all the laws, uh, he he knew that that was against the postal regulations, uh, and he filed a court case against him. Uh, and even though the Promised Messiah was again and again told that he should lie and say that that letter he didn't put that letter in that package, and that was the Christian lawyer, the Promised Messiah didn't lie, and he you know went to the court and he said the truth that mm-hmm. he didn't know about the rules. Uh, and that's why he put the letter in it. And even though you know all the lawyers advised against it, uh, the decision was made in the favor of the Promised Messiah Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that shows us also, you know, the point that I made before that if we do it for the right reason, if we do it for the sake of God, then you know it is our belief that God Almighty will protect us as well. So you know, that, that was one incident. Thank you very much. That is wonderful. Um, people can always relate better to, mm. to people's actual implementative stories. Um, I mean, these are some wonderful ones that will go down in the, in our memories. Thank you very much, Abdul Hadi, for coming on. And we'll hope to speak to you again sometime soon. Until then, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And peace be upon you. Right. Imran, I think the, the thing that we're kind of stuck at mm-hmm. is just simply one thing. And that is when and when not to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm get, beginning to gather mm-hmm. is this. Is that if you see that there is basically going to be no benefit mm-hmm. of speaking that truth in that moment, mm-hmm. perhaps it's not the wisest thing to do it. Absolutely. For example, if if some someone's if you're going to say something and mm-hmm. the only thing it's going to do mm-hmm. is going to hurt someone, mm-hmm. perhaps there's absolutely no need for that. Right? right? Because mm-hmm. if you're just going to hurt someone, mm-hmm. that's not very nice. Mm-hmm. However... Let's say that there is something that needs to be said and mm-hmm. it still might hurt someone, but you need to tell them that because mm-hmm. it, they need to know that because it might save them from something or, or it might teach them something. Mm-hmm. Even then, you need to be careful because, mm-hmm. okay, let's see. Let's say that um, you have to, they've said it, they haven't said anything, but you need to tell them, you should probably go and tell them privately, not in front of people, right? right? right. That's one way to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Saying it publicly would not be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if there's someone that say has says has said something publicly, but the effect of that thing has been so such that not only has that wrong lie affected them, but also the public society, mm-hmm. that would probably be the right time to speak about it openly in front of the public. Okay, guys, this is what the reality is. This is the truth. But I'm saying it to everyone because it's also affected you as well. Mm-hmm. So I think really contextually, there are many different ways to say it and when to say it and how to say it. Um, and I think for me, walking away is learning that we should basically speak the truth when there is a benefit of doing it. Absolutely. Doing it just for belittling people, mm. doing it just to make people feel bad about themselves is not a true objective at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, know I'm, I could be wrong, but you know, I was thinking while you were mentioning that the Holy Prophet when it's come when when we talk about religion, when he talk about religion, he speaks ab- absolute truth. When you know, I mentioned previously that uh, he says that uh, I will not st- stop spreading this message. But on the other hand, he he know the names of the hypocrites. 
Mm. which is uh, within the islam yes but he did not mention and did not say in front of he, them he that you're a hypocrite yeah, yeah. but he stepped he he kept quiet and on the other hand he tried to reform them and some of them they did reform so i think it's really um exactly. uh, depend on the situation you're as you right about that mm. i think you have to be very very careful mm. about exactly how we we say things basically mm. At, mm. The, at the end of the day um and keeping the ultimate objective in mind which it is the i would say what we call islah in mm. english mm. in arabic rather the reformation of people in mm. mind because that is the the ultimate truth mm. the ultimate truth is the objective of making people better people and if there is a smaller truth that but you by saying it is going to hinder that progress perhaps it's not the right thing to say at that time it's not the convenient thing to do mm. where there is a need that you might say something it might not be the nicest thing but by doing it you're ensuring that that person is going to be able to better themselves improve themselves then doing it in a wise instructive educated manner is is the right thing to do even if it may put us in difficult harm way and that's exactly what the prophets have done from the beginning from time immemorial they've come to people and told them about the one true god for a start and the rights of human beings that come with it even if it meant that for a short while not only would they face opposition mm-hmm. but the people that were supposed to adopt this religion would also probably face a lot of hard, hard, hardships as well right but they knew the ultimate goal was to find a bigger truth mm. than the one that they were living in right now mm. and that requires some kind of effort for us to speak out about it here's here's what it is but of course we already know that so the, from the muslim perspective there isn't mm. any coercion in that mm. again at the end of the day It's a person's choice. So keyword is like information islah. If you you know speak something, uh, and your aim is to you know do the reformation, then I think you can go for it. Otherwise, um, yeah. I think you should you know try another ways or uh, like deal another way. So let's talk about the truthfulness and its effect on health. So I was uh, actually um, uh, looking for you know what's the scientific uh, what science says on you know truth okay so truthfulness is an amazing quality as we discuss and we should all have and it was a quality that the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him was known for and science has shown that speaking the truth can actually improve over mental health and social and physical health and you know uh, today it is estimated that the average american lies about 11 times a week <laughs> so scientists gather a group of people and told half of them to continue lying as they <laughs> normally did and the other half of uh, of the group of the people they said that stop lying and they saw that people who were told not to lie has less mental health issues and uh, such as anxiety sadness and depression right. and less wow. physical issues such as headaches and sore throats yeah. so this shows that <laughs> speaking the truth is actually really good for your mind and body So and Ron, um, you're going to make me think that everybody that's got a sore throat is lying. <laughs> <laughs> But this is good though because mm-hmm. I think it does make sense because look, mm-hmm. if you um the more that you're honest with yourself, the more you feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. You're like, yes, I'm 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 being honest, I'm being true. And mm-hmm. this is a, a great feeling, it's a liberating feeling. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about it in the beginning as well that you don't have to cover things up. Mm-hmm. You don't have to start 
putting on a false facade mm. to constantly watch your back and i think that can generate a lot of anxiety as well absolutely i mean they also conclude that it is you know it is also known that lying can cause a person to have you know increased anxiety and this happened because you need to you know make up more believable lies yeah, in yeah. order to defend your previous lie yeah so the cycle this just continues and it also makes you frustrated because of how much effort you have to put into just making simple conversation and you have to rethink your you know every word to make sure you do not contradict yourself mm. so on the other hand if you just speak the truth you do not have to worry about any of this which gives you mental peace and satisfaction so i think they really uh, i think every word of it um, it really uh, is self explanatory that uh, it light light indeed you know make you um, anxious and uh, it gives you you know anxiety and depression on the other hand truth it you know it really gives you the satisfaction and um, uh, you know the um, firm belief in yourself no you're absolutely right that's why mm. that's probably why the prophet muhammad peace be upon him said ala wa qawla zur he said it three mm-hmm. times he said beware beware of uttering falsehood mm-hmm. and for sure you must be aware of it because it will not only be a lie but it will also ruin you in terms of mm-hmm. your health your mental health uh, probably give you a lot of stress for the rest of the week or mm-hmm. however long that line is to be kept for mm-hmm. it's just not going to do anyone mm-hmm. any good and ultimately mm-hmm. we we can always see that lies always come out as well mm-hmm. this is a reality mm-hmm. it, it might not come out in the next week the next year the next decade but it comes out and this is historically true mm-hmm. because we can see it um within within ourselves where now the the UK is even apologizing for sending troops to Iraq yeah mm-hmm. what was there nothing mm-hmm. we know that was nothing there mm-hmm. and they've had to say it now and they're apologizing for it mm-hmm. but in the moment nobody could have believed it mm-hmm. and even those that did know or had a feeling that this can't be possible probably didn't believe that a lie would ever be exposed mm-hmm. but that's the way it works not now generations later something will come out so it's basically only a temporary hold on on the truth and the truth like you said mm. always prevails <laughs> so yeah. this is really really important i think mm. the founder of the hamdiya muslim community the promised messiah peace be upon him is a very perfect example of someone who spoke the truth knowing full well that mm. he's going to get cancelled big time mm. and he got cancelled big time right. i mean edicts of kufr of disbelief were published against him by lots of people and basically he was let's just say disattributed from the muslim cycle circle mm-hmm. now you're not a muslim anymore anything you say is not going to be islam we're not going to listen to you and when it comes to influence that 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 probably would sound like a really big hit like against you that oh no who's going to listen to me now mm-hmm. what's going to become of me but the like i said he was a prophet Mm-hmm. and he persevered because that was his mission and that was his job. Right. And I think people who follow the prophets, mm-hmm. whether that's the holy prophet peace be upon him or the promised messiah, if you're members of this community, we should always take inspiration from that. That even if in the short run by saying something which is truthful, which we know is going to be a benefit to people, mm-hmm. not for the sake of hurting people, even if that's going to put harm into our way temporarily, we know that ultimately it's going to be for the good of the people and for the good of ourselves as well what do you think about that yeah i mean absolutely um, as as you said is uh, quite you know um, right uh, that you know truth always prevails and uh, 
let's let's talk about <coughs> the uh, the one point which mentioned our previous guest the relationship and truthfulness. Oh yes, at home. I, I, wa- I want to talk <laughs> about that. I wasn't. So uh, you know, truthful forms the foundation of trust in any relationship. Hundred percent. And when individual consistently speak uh, the truth and act with you know uh, integrity, it establishes a sense of uh, you know reliability wow. and credibility. And trust is built upon the relief that once world, uh, you know, words and action align with reality and can be relied upon. So truthfulness, you know, help build reliance within relationships when difficult or challenging situation, you know, arise. And being truthful about one's thoughts, concern and intention allow for open dialogue and conflict result, uh, you know, uh, resolution so honest communication promotes mutual respect problem solving and the ability to navigate conflict effectively so i think in in relationships especially uh, um between the wife and husband the the cornerstone or the bedrock is the is is uh, you know truth and as Absolutely. as as the, you know god almighty says in the holy quran and the holy prophet also used to recite these verses beco- before the uh, you know nikah ceremony right. uh, which is the islamic uh, way of marrying uh, he he says that qulu qawlan sadida yuslih lakum a'malakum that say the right word and he will reform your conduct for you so uh, while explaining this verse uh, his holiness um, hazrat mirza masrur ahmad the fifth caliph of the muslim community he states that no divine command uh, commandment should be considered small let alone the commandment of qulu sadid the right word which is the basis of social societal peace as well as the basis of uh, reformation that is why the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him you know uh, um, included it in the nikah ceremony and the significance of nikah is that it is a time of the coming of you know coming together of man and woman in islamic matrimony and it is also the means for the continuation of future genera- generation However, as mentioned earlier, the scope of qole sadid, the right word, is not to be limited to family life, rather it encompasses the entire society. Therefore, it is most essential to abide by it as God wants. God states that looking for the finer ways of taqwa, <coughs> righteousness, makes one the recipient of God's grace and one's deed are reformed and one and one also, you know, avoid uh, what is frivolous. That's absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. You did remind me. I mean, the promise Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, peace be upon him. Mm-hmm. I think Imam Abdul Hadi mentioned some of mm-hmm. these incidents as well at many points mm-hmm. where criminal cases were levied against him, mm-hmm. and where a person normally thinks, "I'm going to go there into court. I'll try and say things in a certain way that will sway their opinion." He just went there and he told the truth mm-hmm. that you know what I forgot. I forgot to do this. And the reality is that the, the way that he said the truth was so profound that the, the judge had no no other option but to omit him of the charge because mm-hmm. of the the fact that he spoke the truth with so much conviction. Mm-hmm. And this is the power of, of of speaking the truth and having it really be embodied within what you say and what you do. So you speak about integrity, truth in a relationship, and I think this is really important because it. It's like a, it's like a matchstick house. Hmm. Yeah, it's like to build a house out of matchsticks. It takes probably like what a million matchsticks to make mm-hmm. a, a house out of matchsticks, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of effort. Right. And that's how much effort is probably required to build trust. Mm-hmm. And it probably just takes one of those matchsticks to be flicked away mm. for the whole thing to come collapsing down. Yeah. And that's how easy it is to break trust as well, wow. and to rebuild that. 
sometimes can happen or sometimes they can't even happen at all. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think even treating a single lie shouldn't be taken lightly. Mm. You don't know which lie, which matchstick is going to destroy your relationship mm. or your life. This is, I think, really important. I think there was recently a series on Netflix. I think it's called, I forget the name, but it was something around this topic where mm. um, a journalist basically was going around snooping into people's lives mm. and he was trying to expose people's truths. Okay. And it's based on a true story to the, to the extent that someone was being unfaithful to their partner and it mm. got leaked in the news. Hmm. Before it even got leaked in the news, that person took their own life. Oh. The reason why they took their own life is because obviously they didn't want to face their partner after hmm. having found out that, hey, I've been cheating on you for the rest of my life. Hmm. And this is the reality that people who do this mm-hmm. gamble their entire life on yeah. a lie, knowing that at any point, if it got exposed, that is literally the end of my life. Like, hmm. I will literally take my own life. And of course, this is not every single case, but this is what happened in this case. And we we kind of have so much faith and so much trust in the fact that that lie will not be exposed until the point where it does get exposed. Mm. And it really detriments, to your detriment, ruins a lot of things in your relationship. And if you have children, for example, uh, if you have others that rely upon you, they're looking at that too. And they're greatly affected by that. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right that within relationships, truthfulness is really the cornerstone absolutely so that's that's uh, you know now we're going to further about discuss about the question how truthfulness brings us closer to god and that's i think a very important question mm. as you mentioned that you know being a truthful um you know it just um, it, it brings you closer to god so as we know that god is embodiment of truthfulness right and one of his attribute a divine attribute is al-haq the truth so when we, you know, um, embody truthfulness in our thoughts, words, and actions, we align ourselves with this divine attribute. And this alignment helps us draw closer to God. And we strive to reflect uh, his qualities in our life. It's a very beautiful account which shows that how truthfulness, you know, reforms a person and brings us, bring him closer to God. So in Hadith, in the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, there was an incident in which a man came up to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and uh, he said to the Holy Prophet that, you know, I have many evils and I cannot leave all of these evil at, at, at once at a stoke. So tell me a way by which I can, you know, give up one bad habit to start with. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him to, you know, give up lying. And the man then responded, uh, what you have told me is very easy. And, you know, when the man goes home, he got home, the thought of, you know, he thought that, you know, He's going to rob someone, but then realize that he would have to tell the truth and therefore he would be, you know, punished. So slowly the man realized that every time he wanted to commit an evil deed, he would have to tell the truth and would be punished or humiliated. So after that, you know, after some time, uh, the man gave up lying and all of his other sins fed away. Wow. So, you know, he went to the, up to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and said that by making me give up lie you made me give up all evils wow so you know just 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 a small thing in your life it can bring closer to your god and all of your rest of thing can be you know sorted but that's pretty profound mm-hmm. that you mentioned that basically mm-hmm. lying is the root of evils yes uh, if you can if you can get a grip over lying uh-huh. 
you, you, you can make it. And mm-hmm. I think this is really important. Uh, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has also mentioned something on the lines mm-hmm. of this, that finding the truth takes time. Mm-hmm. People can spend 40, 50 years doing it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they, that they spent 40, 50 years lying. Mm-hmm. It's that they spent 40, 50 years realizing that mm-hmm. something that they held to be true their entire lives was not actually true. Mm-hmm. And what the Promised Messiah Islam was saying mm-hmm. is that, look, you'll grow up as a child thinking that your parents are your providers. They're the ones that are going to save you, mm-hmm. pr- provide for you, be the everything for you. Mm-hmm. You get to a certain age and you realize they were, but they won't always be. Mm-hmm. And they can't solve everything for me. And that's probably one of your first truths that breaks, mm-hmm. is that your parents aren't invincible. It's a hard truth to learn, but it's, it's a truth. Mm-hmm. You get past that. <clears throat> you then start relying because you're young. You start thinking, I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. I can do and achieve whatever I want. I'm invincible. And after a certain age, when you start getting to a point where your joints start hurting, mm-hmm. the, the fallacy again uh, breaks to you that, hold mm-hmm. on, I'm deteriorating. And that's another truth that goes. Mm-hmm. You then start becoming st- financially stable and you think my wealth will take me places mm-hmm. to a point where you, you face some kind of difficulty financially and you realize, hold on a minute, this isn't going to be there forever. And mm-hmm. that truth breaks for you as well. And then you rely on friends and family, but then they pass away. Mm-hmm. And you remember, hold on, I'm alone in this world. And all of these truths, <coughs> one by one in your life, they come into your way and then they break. And they come into your way and they shatter. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you're left with only one truth, <laughs> which is everything went and everything came and oh. everything lost was lost again. Mm-hmm. But the only thing that's always been there mm-hmm. was God. And that is the truth that takes pretty much a lifetime to learn. Right. So the promise side, peace be upon him, said, Beautiful. learn it mm. now. Mm. Don't wait for that. Learn Beautiful. it now. So the truth can take time. But once you realize it, there's no going back after that. And I, I think people have to go through difficult times to learn the truth. Mm. It's, a, it's a journey worthwhile. Once you find the truth, you don't let go of it. Mm. Um, there's a lot of talk of... And narcissistic characters, for example, people mm-hmm. who believe in false identities about themselves. They mm-hmm. believe that in some kind of, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, superiority about themselves. Mm-hmm. And again, with this, it's a journey of trying to shatter that mm-hmm. mindset about yourself. Mm-hmm. The Quran, the Ahadith always remind us that we are just but a speck of dust mm-hmm. in this wider, wider pu- purpose. And we need to go through that journey. That, that our truth isn't this that if you're strong, then that's your identity. Our mm-hmm. truth isn't this, that if you're intelligent, then that's your identity. All of these things, there's always going to be someone smarter than you. There's always right. going to be someone braver than you, stronger than you. Don't make that who you are. Mm. Because someone's going to one day come and break that truth about you. Right. You think that you're the fastest driver, the fastest runner, <laughs> the greatest speaker. One day, sometime in your life, the most good-looking person, someone is going to come True. and break that truth for you. Don't be that person that lets that break you. Mm, beautiful. Because if that is your truth and that's finished, then that's finished end of you. But if you are able to realize before that time that I know that, okay, maybe I, I have some beauty in me or I'm intelligent, I'm a good speaker, but I know. But I know that it has its limit. Hmm. And one day when I will fail, that won't be the end of me because I still knew that there is a higher truth that I'm working towards. That's God. Hmm. So that's the truth. Beautiful. Uh, we're talking about you know how truthfulness um, bring us closer to God. There's a very beautiful incident which I heard in my childhood, and I still remember it. Uh, there was a, a saint called Sayyid Qadil Abdul Jilani. He's a very <laughs> uh, you know um, respected man in Islamic history. Uh, he was when he was a small, he was uh, traveling to Baghdad in a caravan. 
um and uh, his mother you know told him before he left to always be truthful and she sewed uh, sewed you know um 40 gold coins into uh, into his vest and along the way you know uh, some robber came and they asked uh, everyone if they had you know something money or any valuable things when they came to this young man uh, young boy sayyid abdul qadir jilani and uh, they asked him do you have anything and the boy replied yes and uh, the thieves you know looked everywhere in his clothes and they did, did not find anything then they asked him where the money was and then he you know showed them where his mother had you know sewn the gold coin in his vest and gave it to them and you know the thieves were so deeply touched by this truthfulness that they became muslims and you know uh, uh, you know turned all of the gold coins uh, to the to the young boy and because of that one act of truthfulness everyone got their belonging back so truthfulness is just not reform you when you being truthful it reforms all of the society it does it yeah. does you're absolutely right mm. this is the point that sometimes you don't realize that your your speaking the truth might have a great effect on society mm-hmm. um where nowadays we have a lot of misinformation on social media a lot of things which are, are just gone unchallenged mm-hmm. and it becomes norms uh, because th- sometimes there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. uh, by various agendas by various agencies on something which is not the truth and you feel like what's going to happen if i if i don't what's going to happen even if i speak about it mm-hmm. what what's going to happen even if i speak the truth what what, what will it change right well the fact of the matter is that it does change mm-hmm. things it may not change the whole world mm-hmm. but your influence on people is there at the end of the mm-hmm. day you will be able to influence someone in the positive direction so whether or not you think that someone is listening or no one is watching you're able to influence at least to direct people around you mm-hmm. by speaking what is right and what is the truth Mm. And this can't be under influenced in this day and age in this in this society where we now have so much stuff that's going on um particularly on socials within schools where children are being taught god knows what and your responsibility as a muslim is to always remind them of what the truth is mm, absolutely and uh, you know we are we are muslim and the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him is the best role model of honesty and truthfulness in very famous hadith he said that in as-siddiqa yahdi ila al-birr wa inna al-birra yahdi ila al-jannah that you know truthfulness leads to virtue and virtue leads to paradise and then he continued to say that a man continue to be truthful and strive for you know truthfulness until he is written as a truthful person with god and uh, be aware of falsehood for indeed falsehood leads to sinning and indeed sinning leads to the fire and man continues to tell a lie and strive upon falsehood until he is written as a liar with god now as you know our the, the, the guest um uh, missionary uh, hadi uh, he, he explained that you know the whole prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him known as a siddiq the truthful and amin the trustworthy uh, and he is really the embodiment uh, of the truthfulness there's a very famous incident uh, you know um, of of his life i just wanted to narrate that Uh, there's a very famous phrase in Arabic that al-fadlu ma shahidat bihi al-a'da that the greatest testimony is that of the enemy so when the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam you know write the letter to the Byzantine emperor Hercules and he received a letter from the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him inviting him and his people to Islam he called the arab uh, you know trader Abu Sufyan who was then you know visiting uh, his country to uh, to know you know inquire about the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him uh you know ab- about holy prophet's truthfulness so despite being a non believer at that time 
and a strong opponent of Islam, Abu Sufyan, testified that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had exemplary honesty and unmatched truthfulness. So the, his his moral conduct is like a guiding principle for every Muslim, and we should, you know, follow his his uh, moral conduct as Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran that he is the best, uh, you know, Uswai Hasan is the best um, man to live uh, a life on the earth. That's absolutely right. Hmm. So we're going to leave it at that because hmm. the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him is the exemplar of truth. Mm. And whoever follows that, as the Quran says, <clears throat> that he is the Uswatun Hasanatun, mm. he is the, he is that perfect example, Blanked that up, yeah. role model. And all we need to do is hold fast to that example. Mm-hmm. And like we said before, because we believe that God's word is the truth, we hold fast to His word, which is the Quran. The Quran and the Sunnah, His way, is the way to find and unlock the truth about our life and how to fully uh, perform that. So that was the end of today's show, Imran. We've mentioned we've gone on a journey, haven't we? Hmm. From Afghanistan <laughs> to go, to all the way across to London, the drug trafficking and yeah. human trafficking. And we learned a lot there and about the different struggles that people go through. We went to Keithley and Bradford, Manchester, <laughs> spoke to Project 6, spoke about the kind of supports that's available. Yeah. We then went again to Keithley to speak to Imam Abdul Hadi mm-hmm. to speak about the truth and what that embodies from an Islamic perspective. We hope that you've learned a lot and if you have something to say on these topics still of course it's never too late even after the show's over you can tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK or shout us out at Instagram and for the future reference as well the shows that are always live 0208-687-7878 is the number to call. We hope you've enjoyed this show and our shout out to today's producers are Yeah, I would like to thank uh, our producers Nadia Shams and Parivish Huma for this beautiful script and uh, uh, until next time, stay tuned on The Voice of Islam. Peace be upon you to all. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Jazakallah. We'll be back tomorrow again. Or not, yeah, tomorrow, every weekday <laughs> from 4 to 6. And we'll see you then. Now it is time for the news. Until then, tomorrow, Assalamu alaikum. And peace be upon you all.